This is Shane Holloway, one of the Stephen Hall's all-time great. Here with my guys from Left Coast Pirates. Let's get it. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate, from San Diego, California, he is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Hello, Michael. How you doing today? Good afternoon, Tommy. Doing well. But I got a question for you today. In the pantheon of Seton Hall backcourts, which pairing would you rank as the best backcourt of all time? Now, Michael, you know where I'm going to go with this. If you're asking me who the best pairing was, I'm thinking you're starting off at Brian Caver and Terry DeHair and moving on from there. How about like a Kadeen Carrington and Isaiah Whitehead in the 15-16 season? I think that was a great backcourt. I don't know that if I don't know if that if a couple seasons later, if Isaiah would have stayed and KC had progressed like he did, they would have been higher up on the list. That is a good pairing. I think there's another pairing that should be involved in this and absolutely could make an argument to be the best of the three, but I, I know what happens. We, we start judging these backcourts not only based on their talent, but what they did success-wise as a team and what they accomplished, whether it be a, you know, a championship or a deep run in the NCAA tournament. I think Shaheen Holloway and Lavelle Sanders deserve to be in this conversation. In Lavelle's senior season, when Shaw was a sophomore, they both made all Big East. No other grouping that you had just mentioned accomplished that in the same season that you're trying to rank them compared to Lavelle and Shaw. That is a hell of an accomplishment between those two. And as luck would have it, Michael, we're going to have a little conversation right now with one of those two. Yeah, but he's too humble. He knows the big picture. He's getting back into coaching. He's never going to put himself, in my opinion, at the top of that list. I, I'd be surprised when we ask him at the end of the walk the plank where he thinks he falls on that list. Well, let's see what happens. He was a standout for Seton Hall University from 1994 through 1998, scoring 1,399 points. With the Pirates, he was named second team all Big East in 1998. After his time with Seton Hall, he embarked on a successful 15-year professional career overseas playing in stops like Belgium, Poland, and the Czech Republic. For the past five years, he's coached in the Czech Republic, leading his team to the elimination rounds of the 2017 FIBA Euro Cup and being named All-Czech Republic lead coach that year. He has recently returned to the U.S. as an assistant coach for the Binghamton University Bearcats. Welcome to Left Coast Pirates Live, Lavelle Sanders. Lavelle, how you doing today? Pretty good, man. How you guys doing? Doing well. All right. So are you excited to be back in the States? Very excited. Very excited. Um, I'm here for about a month now. I'm up in Binghamton, uh, still getting adjusted, still you know, trying to figure things out. But, you know, very excited to be back. It's been a long time coming. Uh, I was away for 20 plus years. 
you know, overseas. So, again, very excited to be here, and I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time and talking to you guys today. How did the opportunity present itself to you to get on Coach Dempsey's staff at Binghamton? Do you have any connections there? Well, what happened was when I was coaching uh, the Czech national team, I was an assistant coach for the Czech national team, the under-18 team. We played in Estonia, I think it was two or three years ago, and I ended up meeting Herb Courtney, who was an assistant coach um, on the staff here at Binghamton. And, you know, we just we met, we stayed in contact. You know, he kind of knew I wanted to get back over to the States. So he was leaving. He was leaving a position. He was going out to L.A. So he gave me a call to let me know that he was leaving. And it kind of just happened that way. Once uh, he called me and let me know, and, you know, end up speaking to Coach Dempsey. I uh, reached out to Pat Elliott, who is the AD here. Um, and Pat was, you know, he was at Seton Hall while I was at Seton Hall. So there was a connection there. And, um, and, and, it, and it just happened. So, you know, definitely, definitely everything started through through Herb, who uh, who ended up leaving, and, and now he's out in L.A. working for Adidas. They brought you back right in that June, July period where, like, recruiting's really hot. How hard they got you working already? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I got back. I was here for a week, and not even a week. I was here, like, five, four days, and then Friday I went out to, to Philly uh, with Coach Dempsey, and, we you know, we did some recruiting at uh, the – the Philly live period out there. So, it, you know, it was fine because, you know, again, it's, it's still basketball and, you know, you basically going out. And for me, it was good because I had the opportunity to see a bunch of people who I hadn't seen in years. Um, I actually got a chance to see Daniel out there and, you know, we get, we got a chance to speak. He pulled me to the side and was just telling me, you know, I'm going to do a great job. And, you know, he thinks I'll be able to help coach Dempsey, how, how good of a guy coach Dempsey is. And, so that was that was cool. Get got a chance to see Kamani out there. Got a chance got a chance to see Sha out there. Uh, got a chance to see Bruce. Uh, connected with some high school coaches that I played against uh, overseas. So you know, for me, it was more about just kind of getting out and kind of you know reestablishing some of those relationships and and, and meeting people, uh, new people. Sha introduced me to a bunch of people, um, and also uh, Ricardo Greer, who's an assistant coach at Dayton. Um, he introduced me to a bunch of people out there, so uh, people that I didn't know um, out in Philadelphia. So um, it was it was it was good. It was exciting to be back out on the road, uh, getting a chance to see a lot of people who I hadn't seen in a long time. Um, but yeah, again, it was it was it was okay. I, it was basketball. I was I get a chance to watch a lot of a lot of games, seeing a lot of kids. So it was it was it was it was cool. So this has got to be a little different for you. So you were in uh, the Czech Republic coaching professional guys. So recruiting's got to be brand new to you. So that's got to be somewhat exciting, doesn't it? Well, actually, it's not that new because you know I still had to recruit while I was coaching in the Czech Republic. Um, you know, we we didn't have the biggest budget in the Czech Republic. So, you know, guys weren't just knocking down our door to come play. So some of these guys I had to fight for, I had to call, you know, a lot of times and try to persuade them and, and, and give them, not even persuade, but just kind of give them a lot of information about the Czech Republic, about our team, about me. Um, so, you know, I wasn't out kind of recruiting high school kids, but I was still recruiting players trying to get them to come play, you know, in the Czech Republic because, you know, the Czech Republic is not exactly a hotbed for, for basketball. It's more, it's no more for, for ice hockey and, and soccer uh, than, than basketball. So, you know, again, 
I, I still had to recruit, so it, it wasn't that new. Well, sticking with the recruiting theme, before you started getting recruited on the, the collegiate level, you grew up playing ball in Brooklyn, and you had the opportunity to play for the late Gil Reynolds, known as the father of basketball in Brooklyn. So what was it like playing for Coach Reynolds and uh, adjusting to his style? Yeah, Coach, for me, the best coach that I've, I've ever had taught me like so much about basketball very fundamentally sound coach uh i mean he he knows he knew everything about the game um and what happened was my um my uncle introduced me to uh coach Reynolds and then you know i started practicing with him and uh on St. Mark's at 335 it was one of the the, the basketball coaches in our neighborhood and um just by practicing and he, he i remember him telling my grandmother that hey if you you know if you give me a grandson he was coaching at Lombard at the time he was saying hey i'll make him all american from head to toe <laughs> and and then i went down to Lombard because that was after my first year of high school i was going to lincoln and after my first year of high school i ended up going to Lombard uh and playing for coach reynolds and and being able to you know to be under him for a whole year uh it was it was great i mean he, it was he would get me up early in the morning, you know, six o'clock in the morning. I would get up and, and work out before before it was time to go to school. You know, I remember being late one time. And he came in and, and broke my door. Um, <laughs> Damn. You know, because because I was late. But again, a, a great teacher of the of the game. Probably the, again the best that I've been around. And I, I just don't think he gets enough credit for all the things he's done for for basketball in New York City, and and think all of the people he he helped. So I, I definitely want to, uh, of course, rest in peace to, to Coach Reynolds. But you know he was again he was as you call him the Godfather of, of basketball. He, he he was a great great teacher and also a, a great person. You know he took he took you know a 14 year old kid. Uh, and he felt responsible for me. So, you know, he was always on me, making sure that, you know, I was schoolwork I was doing, you know, we were in the gym all the time. It kind of felt like, you know, like a Mr. Miyagi type of situation with the karate kid, because I remember like he would take me to the gym and have me like fixing some of the, like the parquet and in the, in the, in the, in the, on the, the floor would be coming up. And he would have me, you know, fixing these things and telling me that, you know, he was helping me become a better basketball player. I'm like, what? You know, so, 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 uh, but definitely, again, I think if you, if you mention his name in, in, in Brooklyn, everybody knows him and, and rightfully so, because again, he was, he was, he was, he was the best. Well, I'm a Jersey kid and I, I didn't realize that under his tutelage, he had Bernard King, Ronaldo Blackman, John Sally, Earl the Goat Manigault. I mean, that's a pretty impressive list. So to feel like he took you under his wing, just like he did those great legends. I mean, that's got to feel pretty special. Definitely. I, again, he was, I think because I was, you know, 14 years old and I think he saw some potential in me and he, you know, he was one of those guys that he definitely, if you had some potential inside, he could, he could get it out of you because again, his coaching style, he was, he was tough. He, uh, he was hard nose. He was no, non, no nonsense. I remember the first time I, before I knew who he was, I was playing at the Madison Madison Square Broncos up in uh, up in, uh, in in the city with the late Doc Nacelli. Rest in peace, Doc Doc Nacelli was also a really good guy. And uh, I remember we were supposed to they were supposed to play a game after us, and the team forfeited. The team didn't show up, so 
Gil was famous for if there was those type of situations where you're supposed to play a game and the team wouldn't come or show up, you know, he would he would practice. You know, he had practice with his team. And, um, you know, he's practiced with his team. So I, I was about to leave. So I'm sitting there watching because, you know, it was a guy who was, you know, yelling and, you know, kind of demonstrative. So I wanted to kind of check him out. And I remember him. Uh, it was like one of the things he would always tell a kid. He was, you know, he would hit you, push you around, and then he would tell you, if you don't like it, go get your father, you know? And that was the first time I, I, I saw him, you know, saying that to a kid, you know, and I was kind of like lashing about it. But I remember, you know, I remember being in Longbird and we were playing, you know, we were playing against some junior college. And I, again, I'm 14 years old and I'm a little nervous in the game. Um, and I remember him calling a timeout and he, 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 I'm walking to the bench and he just, you know, he kind of just punches me in the, in the chest, in the stomach, you know, <laughs> and kind of knocked the wind out of me. And, uh, you know, but it was him, that was the way he coached. And I, you know, I, I think nowadays, if that would happen, he'd probably be in jail. Oh, about but, to say, uh, you know, go, go get your father, that, hit me in the chest. I mean, the times have changed, yeah. huh? Yeah, but back in those days, you know, that's 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 how he coached. But again, he, you know, he he woke me up, and I started playing much better. And again, the, during that next time out, when he when he whenever we came back to the bench, you know, he 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 definitely acknowledged that you know I was playing much better, you know, and he was telling me that hey, I shouldn't have to you know hit you in the chest to make you to make you play basketball. So so definitely, you know, he he was he was one of those one of those guys that uh you know again as I said I don't know if he would be able to coach knees in this era, but uh, definitely had a, a real real impact on a lot of people. So after your experience with Coach Reynolds, you must have thought you'd fit into PJ's system, no problem. You know, for me, the, the yelling and, and stuff, you know, I, I didn't really that wasn't really something that bothered me. Um, you know, I wasn't one of those kids that, you know, coming up, I wasn't a, a, a McDonald's All-American. I was like a late bloomer. I, you know, nobody was telling me I'm I'm the best thing since sliced bread. So I was used to work, right? Like, so I I, I worked to become a, a better player. So for me, you know, though that that type of stuff didn't bother me, you know. Um, and I knew that, you know, again, when those coaches are doing those type of things, you know, it's more of kind of you know what they say and not how they're saying it, you know. So you know, I, it, it was fine. I, I knew I would be okay on the PJ system. Well, you said you weren't all American, but you must have been impressing somebody because Big East school like Seton Hall came and recruited you. What other schools were looking at you? Man, you know what? It's funny because I I, I wasn't really getting any recruitment, but it was the summer I guess before my senior year. I went to uh I went to five star and um, I was MVP at the camp, and then you know I started getting recruited, but I don't know. UNLV and you know Syracuse and a bunch of schools I mean Rhode Island whew, Providence a ton of schools Seton Hall um so I went to visit Rhode Island because my godfather was from Rhode Island and um I, I just wanted to take that visit and, and uh and, and go up there and I thought about you know going to school because we had a really close relationship so I thought about going to school up there and then when I came back well actually they wanted me to make uh they wanted me to make a decision right then and there. And Coach Skinner was 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 the head coach there. But I wasn't, you know, I still wanted to go visit Seton Hall. And they told me, listen, we have a guy that 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 wants to come. So, you know, we need to have a decision. And that guy ended up being Tyson Wheeler, who ended up going there when I didn't and when I didn't commit to Seton Hall, uh, when I didn't commit to Rhode Island. And uh, you know, he ended up going to Elite Eight and all that stuff. But uh so yeah, so I visited Rhode Island and right after that I went to visit Seton Hall. I was going to take a visit after Tino. I was going to take a visit up to uh, Syracuse, 
But after my visit to Seton Hall, um, I just, I liked Seton Hall so much. I wanted to play for Coach Carlissimo. And right after my visit to Seton Hall, I, I committed to Seton Hall. Well, it, it seems like recruiting kind of followed you, not only to getting to Seton Hall, but while you were also there. We recently had Shaheen Holloway on the podcast, and he flat out said, he goes, one of the main reasons why he chose to come was because his relationship with you. So talk to me about how that recruitment went down and what it was like to play in the same backcourt with him. Yeah, uh, you know what? It's funny because when I first met Shah, it was uh, I was going to high school. When I came back from Laurenburg, I went to Jamaica High School in Queens. And of course, Shah is from Queens and everybody knew Shah, but Shah was actually in, uh, in, uh, in, in Jersey at the time. So I remember coming back, I was playing in some type of tournament in ISA. And I remember the first time meeting Shah, and I want to say he was a freshman in high school, but I, you know, I didn't really know who he was because I was from Brooklyn. So I didn't really know Shah like that. Uh, I, I knew of him, but I didn't, you know, never met him. And I remember he had some St. Pat shorts on, some nice shorts. And I'm like, yo, you know, I'm like, yo, you know, what kind of shorts are those? And he said it was just like cocky, you know, you know, he's my school shorts, yo. You know, like, so I'm like... <laughs> so i'm like oh this guy you know um so i saw him a few weeks later i don't know if you remember i saw him a few three weeks later but now we were in brooklyn i don't know if it was a few weeks later maybe a month or so later we were in brooklyn and now because again now we're in brooklyn where i'm from you know he was a little bit a little bit cooler like a little bit nicer right because you know he's now he's, he's in my my neck of the woods but you know shy i remember when he was being recruited you know, we spoke a lot, you know, kind of like when I would come to the office, the coach's office, you know, Coach Arenda would, would call him, you know, put us on the phone, we would speak and stuff like that. So, you know, I never tried to, you know, persuade him one way or the other to come to Seton Hall. For me, it was all about, like, I just like to be honest, give guys, you know, tell guys the truth because I never want a situation where a guy come and say, Hey, but you told me it was like this. And now, you know, so I just try to give them, you know, get them, let them know, you know, what was going on. I see, you know, and I thought it would be a good situation for him. Um, of course I, you know, I wanted to play in the backcourt with him. I thought we, had, we would form a really good backcourt. And then again, you know, him being from New York city and then, and, during, and at that time, by that time we had kind of, you know, formed a pretty good relationship. So, you know, he would come to the games and I would see him, you know, because he was, you know, at St. Pass, he would come to the games and stuff like that. So I, I really wanted to play with him. So I, I was happy he made a decision. And I, I remember when he made his decision, we were in Caladrillos or whatever it was called. Yeah. It was, yeah. People would be like, was, what, what bar? What? Yeah. So I, I, I want to say it was on MSG. And um, I remember when he made his decision, everybody was going crazy in the, in, in the, in the restaurant. And of course I was jumping up in the, and, and I, you know, like I was on TV and I remember it's like to this day, Shaw always be like, yo, why you was jumping up? Like, you know, <laughs> act, you know, why, why you, why you were jumping? I'm like, yo, I was excited, man. I was happy he was coming to school, you know, happy coming to see home. But yeah, man, I mean, we, we got a real good relationship and you know, he's one of the guys that I can call Shaw anytime, you know, he's one of the guys that'll pick up his phone no matter what, you know, he'll call me back and, Real cool dude. We got to, you know, he's like a brother to me. So, uh, again, I'm happy I had the opportunity to play with him. Um, he was a great player. Um, and then, you know, he's doing a great job as a coach now. Yeah, don't feel bad about jumping up and down. I was at school during that whole recruiting process, and we were all jumping <laughs> up and down because we thought he was going to Cal, man. Well, I, I got yeah, to see you yeah. guys play together on the back end. It was my freshman year when, when Shaw was a sophomore and you were a senior, and I, I felt like you guys were one heck of a backcourt, so. 
Glad you got him to come. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't all me, you know. I think Greg and Coach Blaney and Coach Williamson, those guys, they did a great job, you know. So you you got recruited by PJ, and you said you were excited about coming to play for him, and he blindsides all of us and decides to go coach pro. And they, they had a hard time replacing PJ at first, and all of a sudden Coach Blaney comes in. What was your feelings like when, when you found out PJ wasn't going to be your coach and you were getting Blaney? I remember getting a call from, from uh, Coach Carlissimo uh, that summer, and he was basically just saying that, you know, they made an offer. He couldn't refuse. Uh, you know, he's disappointed. He's not going to get a chance to coach me and things like that. And, you know, for me, for me, of course, I was disappointed because, you know, he was one of the main reasons I, I chose Seton Hall. I remember when I signed my letter of intent, and, you know, he came to Brooklyn in this, the big blue Cadillac. And everybody, you know, everybody was was in the street waiting for him to to come because he knew that they knew that he was coming so I could sign my letter. Um, I I remember that, you know, like like it was yesterday. So, you know, definitely I was disappointed um, that he didn't, you know, he didn't stay. But, you know, Coach Blaney, once Coach Blaney got the job, he, you know, he called me right away and told me that, you know, he would love love to have me if I still wanted to, to come. And, you know, so. At that at that time, you know, I was kind of set on, you know, Seton Hall. I had kind of made some friends there. I mean, Chaka Ship was going there. He was a Brooklyn guy, so I knew him. Uh, it was close to home, also. So for me, it was, you know, it was like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm still going. You know, I'm still, I still want to go and, and and play. And then I heard heard a lot of good things about Coach Blaney. So you know, it was it, it was easy for me to to make that decision to to go to Seton Hall. Well, we always find it interesting when a player gets recruited by one coach. You know, it was retained by another, and then unfortunately, you know, that coach is let go, and you're introduced to another coach in your four-year tenure there. So how was it like being a part of your senior season as Tommy Amaker's first year on the job? Yeah, you know, um, it was it was fun because, of course, it was at the moment, it was tough. I remember when, you know, when, when, when Coach, you know, called us to the office, uh, to the locker room, and he told us, and I mean, guys were breaking down. You know, I know I cried because, you know, you build a relationship, you know, three years, you, you, you with somebody and, you know, you go through some good times some bad times and, you know, you, you kind of build a, a, a relationship. And when, you know, when that guy, just, you know, gets fired or whatever, or let go, you know, it's hard, especially being a, 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 a kid, you know, a teenager, you don't understand those things, you know, but again, it's like when you get a chance to, but I also, I remember, uh, I think that kind of made me and Shy a little bit closer because I remember when that happened, we left, went to our dorms, and I don't remember the guy. I think his name was Anthony. He was working for MSG, was a reporter, and I remember him like hanging out in front of Xavier, you know, trying to get us to come down and do interviews. And we kind of Shy and I were in on the. I think Shy was living on the fifth floor. We were in the hallway sitting on the couches and we spoke for about like two or three hours you know what i mean and we just kind of yeah that that moment again that kind of moment where you know we both were disappointed that coach blaney was leaving more you know shy really came to see home because of coach blaney he really liked coach blaney um so i think that moment you know made us brought us closer closer then when we found out that coach amica was coming it was like wow okay coach amica you know a dude guy was a really good player you know, so you kind of got excited again. And, 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 you know, when you first, I know my first meet with Coach Amagon, we spoke and we, we talked, you know, I was excited because it seemed like, you know, he, he was saying all the right things. And again, I think I had an opportunity to be coached by two really, really good human beings and Coach Blaney and Coach Amica. So, 
again, once I got a chance to know Coach Hamica, uh, it was it was it was fine. Now you said you built some good relationships with Coach Blaney, and you had some good times there. What are your, some of your favorite moments as a Pirate, as an individual? Um, you know what? You asked me this question. Now I'm 43 years old. If you would ask me, I, I guess when I first graduated, I probably would tell you, you know, I don't know, scoring a thousand points and all these type of things, but. I think for me, some of my favorite moments were, are just kind of the relationships that I that I built there. Some of the people that I've, you know, came in, some of the people I came in contact with. Again, if you you speak about like the coaching staff, some of the players, you know, Coach Blaney, Coach Amica, uh, Coach Jackson, you know, Greg Herinda, Bruce Hamburger, Kerry Keaton, Darren Savino, you know, Tim O'Toole, like all of these guys that I had an opportunity to interact with, Mike Brown, uh, Coach Sully, you know, all of these guys, you know, and then some of the players, right, like Danny and, and Ad- Adrian and Shy, and, you know, guys who are not coaching, like Kellen Payton that I still speak with, um, you know, so for me, it was more about the relationships that uh, that I had an opportunity to, to form. And then again, you know, be still being able to reach out to those guys, whatever I need those guys or if they need me to be there for, for them, um, you know, because of that Seton Hall bond. Um, so for me, those are kind of, you know, some of the, 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 the memorable moments. Of course, you know, there are some games like I remember my freshman year, you know, when we, you know, we beat Syracuse and, you know, they, they rushed the floor. You know, like I had always saw that on TV and I never thought I'd be part of that. Right. So I remember being Syracuse and, the, and everybody rushing the floor and they're kind of I was like, wow, you know, this is what it's like. Like when, you know, they rushed the court. That was the first time and the only time it happened in my career at Seton Hall. But that was, you know, that was a memorable, a memorable moment, you know, for me. And then also, you know, beating Syracuse at the Carrier Dome was also one of those one of those moments. Cause I, I think at that time it was like 17 years we had it won there. And then we, you know, we finally got that 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 victory, um, and that was that was that was big. So, um, you know, those two games kind of stand out. But again, for me, it's all about the relationships that I that I built. And, and and think about it, a guy like Pat Elliott, who is the athletic director here at Binghamton, uh, you know, I I met him at Seton Hall, right? So again, those things are more important than you know scoring some points or or stealing the ball or, or making some threes or whatever. You know, for me, it's it's about relationships and. Again, there are people still at Seton Hall. You know, I, I, whenever I go up to Seton Hall, a lot of times when Shaw was there, I would go up there and guys like Jim O'Donnell are still there. I remember him from when, you know, when I was there. So, again, to me, it's about the relationships. Well, you nailed that Syracuse game. It was 16 years since Seton Hall had been a part of the Big East, had never won at the Carrier Dome. First time ever. Mm-hmm. You guys beat him by 25 that day. You, the team shot yeah, re- 14 of 24 from three. You guys were hot. You and Danelle both hit like yeah, five threes each. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember, I don't remember who exactly was doing the game, but um, I had this routine when I was in high school. Again, Gil Reynolds, 14 years old, he gave me a routine that I would do. Like, so I was starting at the basket, shooting, you know, on one hand, form shots, and I would, you know, go back in, spin the ball, and I, I would do that. And I did that up until like I was 40 years old playing overseas and I was still doing that and that started when I was 14 years old with, with Gil Reynolds and I remember I don't remember who exactly was a commentator I don't know if it was Jim Spinaco but after the game when I was doing the interview he uh, he pointed that out he said hey, one thing that I, I like about uh, watching you before the game was that you didn't just come out and you didn't just start jacking up threes but you know you started under the basket and you know and you know that game was one of those games where you know, we all were hot 
I think like Shaw, Remus, Donnell. I mean, we 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 were just making shots all over the place. So. Uh, was a really a memorable memorable game. I remember that that game like it was yesterday. Well, Shaw had I remember, 14 I assists. My... Uh, I mean, you you definitely Shaw contributed four... to the fact that he had 14 assists. I mean, you <laughs> you guys couldn't miss that game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. That's what assists is about. You can't get assists if guys not making shots, and <laughs> yeah, we def we definitely made some shots that game. All right, so we had Shaw, and we were talking about because Tommy and I. Are, you know, went to school around the same time period. We're like, wow, it was a long time ago. And Shaw's like, you can't say that. Mm -hmm. can't say it was a long time ago. But it was. So, yeah. so going 20 years back, I'm not going to let you off the hook. We have a couple other moments. I want to throw them out there. You tell me if you remember. So there's a rumor that you guys played an exhibition game at Walsh Gym, and there was some Australian guy, kind of gray-haired, who lit you up for 40 points. <laughs> Do you remember that day? Andrew Gaze? Yeah, it might have been, been him. Uh, you know what? I, re I remember playing them. I don't know if he lit us up for 40 points, but he, he definitely was he, – he scored some baskets. He was nice. Andrew Even Gage the, I don't remember. I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't remember how old he was when he played against us, but, yeah, he was he was still balling. People said in some of the articles that I read that you did not know that it was Andrew Gaze at the time. At what point did you know it was Andrew Gaze? Oh, I knew it was Andrew Gaze before the game started. Oh, okay. So. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. I, I, got, I got one more for you. So – Kyle Geyer, Virginia, this past year in the Final Four, gets fouled and hits three free throws in the last second to send his team to the national title game. I was talking to Tom. Caught him, right? Yeah, you got him. Going there. I'm going there. I'm going there. I'm going there. Tom doesn't even want me to ask you this question. He's like, they shouldn't have even been in a situation where Fordham was in double overtime. He's like, that should have been a 20-point blowout. But needless to say, you get fouled at the end of the first overtime, down three, and you – nail all three to send it to double overtime and then you guys pull out the win walk me through kind of what that pressure situation is like and maybe try to equate it to what kyle might have been on the national stage in the in the final four i, I don't know I, I it was i don't I, you know you what it's a routine right you have a routine I, I remember coach coach blaney changed my uh my free throw shooting routine and i think it really helped me uh to become a much better free throw shooter because he always told me to listen you too you're too good of a shooter to be shooting i don't know what i was shooting 60 or 70 percent from the, from the free throw line um and he changed my free throw uh, routine to kind of make me pause um I, I would take you know four dribbles and then i would kind of spin the ball and i would pause and then i would shoot because he was saying i had too much motion so you know me doing that so many times, it was like I think when you in those situations, your your routine kind of takes over. You know, I was I was shooting with one of our guys uh, up here, our, actually our best player, Sam Sessions, and he um you know we were doing we were finishing up our workout, and you know he had to make nine out of ten. If he didn't make nine out of ten, you know he had to do some slides. So, you know he didn't make it, and he you know he did the slides, and then. I guess he was a little bit upset, and he changes his routine. So I says, "Hey, why are you changing your routine? You know what I mean? Like, no, continue to do what you what you've been doing." But that's I think what that's what happened to a lot of guys is that you know something doesn't work, or I don't know they miss a shot or whatever, and all of a sudden they want to they want to change what they're doing. And to me, you gotta you gotta keep that routine. So I think when when for me you don't have an opportunity to think about it i think your routine takes over so if you do something uh you know a thousand times a million times it's like second nature so those free throws you're not even thinking about you know making a miss and it's more about the routine kind of takes over um that's why you know that's why you know you've seen jordan and kobe and these guys you know shoot free throws with their eyes closed because it's more of you know they don't even need to see because the routine takes over so i'm pretty sure a guy was in the same situation where you know he kind of did his, his normal routine. It doesn't matter which stage you're on or what game it is. You know, it's a routine that you have. 
and that kind of takes over for you. So I encourage, you know, all of the, the young guys out there listening, you know, get a routine, stick with that routine. Um, and when you put yourselves in that position or that situation, you know, your routine will take over, you know? If that game would have been on the road and the crowd's going nuts, does the routine kind of block out all that noise? I think so. You know, again, I've been in that situation many times, you know, throughout my career. And I want I don't I want I'm not going to say I made all of them. But again, majority of them, I, I think I did make. And then again, it doesn't matter where you're going to be, who's yelling, screaming. Again, if you do it, if you shoot uh, those shots enough, um, that routine definitely takes over and, and it guides you. Now, during your four years at Seton Hall, you saw two regime changes, which regime changes will lead to uncertainty and, and just a lack of continuity. And the teams you were on ended up a combined one and six between the Big East tournament and the NIT. Any regrets for not having more postseason success? I mean, you 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 really have no control over that. You know, um, got a good friend, my friend um, AJ, went to Seton Hall with us. You know, we still close. He works for the Miami Heat. He always talk about. He always be telling me. He, he always tell me, hey, you know, control the things you can control. You know, and again, I, I had no control over those things um, as far as coaching changes or regime changes as, as as you call it so of course i would i would have loved to you know go to the ncaa tournament and those type of things but it didn't happen you know so nothing we can we can do about that so regrets i don't have again i, I had no control over that well you had control over who you were guarding and i've always read that you lead with your philosophy being defense first and on a night-in-night-out basis, you got the assignment for the best player for the other team. And when you played, that was a rich period for the Big East with some great guards or two guards that went on to play in the NBA. Who, who were some of your toughest assignments? Toughest assignments? Well, you I, I, you know, I go back to, first of all, I go back to, like, the, the era I grew up in and, and being from New York City. So, you know, being from New York City and, and, and kind of growing up when I grew up, you know, some of the guys that I had to guard, I don't know, like Charles Jones. I, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys want to know these names, but, you know, Charles Jones, he actually led the nation in scoring. He um, he's a LIU, Brooklyn right? guy. Yes, went to LIU. Yeah, okay. So he's from, you know, from from Brooklyn, from my neighborhood. So um, guys like him, you know, you had to guard guys like, you know, Jamal Tinsley, um, guys like Selden Jefferson, Sherwin Anderson, uh, guys like Mookie, John Thomas, uh, Bam, you know, all of these guys that you had to guard in Brooklyn, you know, growing up, I think kind of prepared me for, to guard those guys in the Big East, right? Because I had, I played for a guy like, you know, a guy named Diamond, uh, who was, you know, well known in, in New York. Um, and he would, he was famous for talking a lot of trash, right? So, before the game, you know, two days before the game, he's talking a lot of trash and he's telling guys what I'm going to do, what Mookie's going to do. And, and and so when you end up playing against these teams, you know, we played, I had to play against Ed Coda a lot. Um, you know, his, his backcourt of, you know, Ed Coda, Marlon and, and Les, I mean, you know, those are some battles you had, you had to be ready to play. So because this guy talks so much trash, you know, you had to bring your A game all the time, you know. And I even remember coming, you know, being in college and uh, playing against Shamgard uh, at the Meadowlands at the time. I think it was my junior year. Um, and he was, I mean, he had a great seat, kind of like half court, like not too far up. And I could hear him on the court talking trash to Shamgard, you know, talking <laughs> trash to, to talking, talking trash to Jason Murdoch. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I know if I heard them, I'm pretty sure he heard them. 
you know, those players hurt him. So, so, but he, you know, he, he did that all the time. So he kind of forced you to, you know, be ready to play. You had to be ready because, you know, when you're playing in street ball, you know, it's kind of like just give somebody the ball, everybody get out of the way. And you, you know, you got to, it's like mano y mano. You got to be able to play defense. You got to be, and then you got to be able to play, play offense. So, you know, all of, all of those guys that I had to play against, you know, coming up, I think prepared me to play against guys like Allen Iverson and, you know, Kerry Kittles, Lawrence Moten, I had to guard, you know, Ray Allen, you know, Vontigo Cummins, guys like Sham God. And then, you know, not to mention, I was playing against Danny Hurley in practice. I was playing against Adrian Griffin in practice. I was playing against Shaheen Holloway in practice. You know, I was playing against all of these guys, you know, in practice. Um, so it was, you know, the games were, were, weren't that tough. You know, of course I had to play against some, some Hall of Fame, some of the some of the great guys, but I, again, I think growing up in Brooklyn and or growing up in New York City, not just Brooklyn, but growing up in New York City and playing against some of the guys that I played against really prepared me for to be able to guard those guys. And again, I'm not saying that I, I locked those guys up, and you know, because I remember, you know, I remember Iverson scoring 40 on us, you know, at the United Center his sophomore year, and Danny Danny never let me live this down. He always say that I picked up two early fouls, so he had to guard <laughs> Iverson, you know. Well, well, that's what I was going to joke so, about, and this is not to pick on Danny, but you're telling me that Danny Hurley in practice prepared you to try to shut down like a Rip Hamilton? Come on. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, Danny was a really good player, you know what I mean? And, you know, practice is a little bit different than games. You know, guys are a little bit more, you know, they show a little bit more of their stuff in practice than they do in the game. So, you know, guarding those guys, I mean, it, it was tough. You know, it was tough, so... Um, but again, as I said, you know, guys like, you know, guys like Ray Allen and, and Vontigo Cummins and Kerry Kittles, I mean, Kerry Kittles and Ray Allen were, were, were nonstop movement, right? You had to be able to run those guys off of screens. You know, you have, you have to be able to chase those guys over, over screens. You know, Iverson was just, you know, all confidence, able to shoot the ball whenever he wanted. Um, Vontigo Cummins was big. You know, he, again, he had a great handle, could shoot the ball. So, I mean, it was some really, really good, 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 good guards or good players. But for me, I mean, I didn't have to guard John Wallace, but I always say, I always tell people, I thought he was the best player that we played against because he was 6'8", 6'9". He was able to dribble, uh, shoot, pass, rebound. He was able to do everything. You know, usually when you guard, when you, you do a scouting report, you know, you can, somebody, you know, there's a weakness, right? Like, I even said you wanted to make him shoot the ball, right? You know, you know, Kerry Kittles, you wanted to make him put the ball on the floor and stuff like that. You didn't want to let him catch and shoot. But when you when the scout report was John Wallace, it was basically like he does everything. You got to make him take tough shots. You got to make him take take contested shots. You really, it was really no game plan to stop him. Or you know, he had any, he didn't have any weaknesses. So he was the, he was the one guy. You know, I thought that was probably like the the most talented or the most unguardable. Um, even though I didn't have to guard him, but just witnessing, you know, the things he were he was doing was was amazing. Ah, uh, John Wallace, another player that went to the Knicks and then nothing developed beyond that. Oh man, come on, Tommy, take a take a shot, Tommy. Come on. Uh, I don't. Uh, another another <laughs> another talented man wasted by the Knicks system. Uh, but Eddie. Yeah, man. Bringing this back, bringing it back. I got a real mic in. This seemed to prepare you for a huge professional career overseas. But what was interesting is you played in a few places. You played in Belgium. You played in Poland. You primarily played in the Czech Republic. Now, American ball players tend to bounce around from place to place, but you stayed there for a long time. What was your attraction?
connection to that country? What happened to me was after my second year in the Czech Republic, the team wanted to re-sign me. And my agent, you know, uh, at the time was like, no, you know, they don't want to give me more money. Uh, I'll find you another deal. I got another deal for you in Israel. And of course, that deal never came through. And, you know, it was October and I was still home waiting for, you know, a team. So finally, I, you know, I got got opportunity to go to Belgium, you know, played there for five weeks, played really well there. They ended up firing a coach, um, new, new coach means new players. And uh, I ended up going to Poland. So after I played in Poland was the, was the year 9-11 was, was after that 9-11 happened. Right. So I didn't play for one year. Um, and then it was a coach that I played for in the Czech Republic. You know, we stayed in kind of stayed in contact. He was emailing me all the time and he was trying to get me to come back and play. And I was like, no, I don't want to play. I want to travel. So finally I started to miss basketball a little bit and I, and I, and I took him up on his offer. I said, all right, I'll come back. And I kind of made a decision, you know, I, I didn't have an agent. I, I kind of did it on my own. So I made a decision that if I'm able to sign a contract before I leave Europe, I was going to do that. And it just so happened that every year a team or the team that I was playing for, another team, you know, in the Czech Republic wanted to sign me. I never I, I never even let it wait until the summertime to try to find another another opportunity, because, you know, usually sometime around December, January, those teams want to resign you and you, you and I was resigning. So. That was primarily why I stayed in the Czech Republic uh, so long. Um, because, again, I, I love playing basketball. And for me, it wasn't really about the money. It was more about, like, I wanted to play. And then, you know, also the Czech Republic was, was it's a nice country. You know, uh, you know, if you ever go to the Czech Republic, I mean, Prague is a, is a beautiful city. Um, also, my wife is from the Czech Republic. I, mean, you know, I met my wife. Um, so we, you know, we, we started to be together. So that was also another reason. Um, and then, again, as I said, the Czech is, is, is a nice country country so uh it's not the cost of living is, is 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 not it's not too expensive to live there so you're able to save some money and for me that was that was important to not really about how much money you make but more about how much you can save and you know playing in the czech republic really afforded me the opportunity to save save money well professionally you also blew up there during your second stint you you were recognized as uh, czech republic league first team in both 2006 and 2007 and you also won league guard of the year in 2007 um t- tell us how honored you were to be named best guard there you know it was it, it was cool it was cool. I mean, of course, you you know you you don't mind. Or I didn't mind being you know recognized uh, for the work that you put in. Uh, I mean, I've you know I, I've I've done so much there. I think I'm actually like number eleven all time on a scoring list in the Czech Republic. Um, so you know, again, playing as many years as I did there, um, it gives you those opportunities. But yeah, it's always it's always good to be recognized for for the work that you put in um, to the game, and um, definitely I put a lot of work in. When I was a player, you played till your age of 40, almost what, 14, six, 14 to 16 seasons. And then you transition with the same club to become part of their coaching staff. That had to be kind of unique to have to all of a sudden be peers with those players on the team. And then all of a sudden be on the other side of the clipboard saying, all right, now you got to follow my lead as a coach. How did that play out? Yeah, that was, that was, that was strange. Um, I I got hurt on my 40th birthday, actually. I tore my rotator cuff uh, on my 40th birthday, and I was rehabbing to come back and play, right? I didn't get surgery. Uh, doctor said that, I, you know, if I rehab, I would be able to make it back for the playoffs. And what happened was our, you know, our coach 
was having some issues because his wife was sick. You know, we had lost a few games and, you know, he just, he, he wasn't feeling it. So he resigned. And the plan was for me to become an assistant coach the following year. But I remember it was a Wednesday after the game. We had lost to a team called Opava at home. And, uh, you know, general manager called me if I can come to the office. And I remember coming to the office and coach was there, had tears in his eyes. And, you know, two of our owners were there with the general manager. You know, they told me the situation and asked me if I wanted to take over the team. Um, and immediately I was like, I was like, yes. You know, I was I wasn't playing. I was rehabbing. And um, yeah, that was a Wednesday. And then you go from Wednesday to Thursday having my first practice. So it wasn't it wasn't about the players it was more about like being able i had never you know ran a practice before so you know now you got to prepare practice and you know you got to deal with all of the stuff off the floor um so that to me that was more that was hard that was the hardest part about it was just trying to prepare practices you know now as a player you, you worry about yourself now you got to worry about 15 other guys um, now I'm involved in decision making that I never was involved in. I remember the, the the before the first game. So our first practice was Thursday, and our first game was Saturday. So on Friday, our trainer comes to me and she says, uh, she says, "L, um, I had already made a you know it was before I was coaching." So she said, "Listen, I had made an agreement with Dushan. I was our coach. I had made an agreement with Dushan that our game was in Prague." She said, "I would travel to Prague." by my car because I'm going to stay in Prague after the game. So I was, she, was, she was like, you know, is it possible that I can go by my car? I don't have to go on a bus. And I, and I was like, why are you asking me? You know? And she was like, well, you the coach. I'm like, you know, I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, you're right. So, you know, now. yeah. You know, so it was like, you know, those type of things were, were, were like strange. I think the, the basketball part and, and the guys that were my teammates were, were fine because you know, I, w- I was actually a player assistant the year before, so you know that was that was okay. I mean, I think I was four, I was forty years old or thirty nine years old, so you know you kind of have that respect because of your, because of the age factor. And we had a lot of young guys on our team. We did have, you know, we had a guy who was thirty six. Uh, we had, you know, I think a guy who was thirty one. They were kind of the oldest guys on the team. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't any issue as far as the guys, you know, being my teammate and my my uh and then and then I had to coach them. So no issues there. Well you you took to it like a fish in water because by two thousand seventeen you were named league coach of the year. Tell us about that accomplishment and what it means to you. You know what? you know, you know when coaches coach of the year or any of the type of those awards if you know, if the guys are not doing what they, they have to do. Um the first thing I remember when I accepted the job. Uh, first person I called was, was coach Amica, you know, um, I call, I actually, I texted him if he's available. He said, sure. So I said, listen, I need to call you, called him. And, um, you know, he just, I told him the situation. He was like, yeah, it's perfect. He was like, so this is what you do. He said, um, you need to find out who the leaders of your team and you have to make sure that you guys are aligned, right? Like that's the first thing you need to do. He said, next thing you need to do is listen. He said, you got to get these guys to play as a team. He said, you need to get them to play defense because you have to do that as a team. He said, you need to get them guys to play in transition because also if you get out and play in transition, everybody's sharing the ball. You know, everybody likes that. And then he said, the last thing I'm going to tell you is this. What He said, you remember, he said, you know uh, Larry Brown, Hall of Fame coach? I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to tell you what he told me. He was like, trust your instincts. He said, you know the game. You've been around it for a long time. Uh, don't second guess yourself and you'll be okay. And that's kind of what I did. 
you know. So I wanted us to defend because that's one thing that I believe in. I believe in, you know, I believe in defense and, and trying to pressure the ball and, and those type of things, try to get steals, get out in transition, get easy baskets. Um, so I really, and I think we had a good group to to become a, a good defensive team. And I thought we did a good job of that. Um, and then I wanted us to play fast. I wanted us to get out and, and, and try to score as easy as possible. I think one of the things that teams don't do well is uh, defend in transition. So I really wanted us, we had a really good rebounding team. So I wanted us to rebound the ball. Uh, and we had a, a guard who, who was really good in transition. Um, he wasn't great at passing the ball ahead, but he was really good at pushing the ball. So he scored a lot of baskets and he got a chance to get guys a lot of baskets in transition. Um, so we did that. And then one more thing Coach Amica told me which was right on the money. He was like, listen, you can only teach what you know. He was like, I cannot teach the triangle offense because I'm not, I don't know the triangle offense. So he said, only teach what you know and you won't have a problem. So those are the kind of things that I kind of, you know, hit the ground running with. And, um, you know, I think I took over. We were like six in the league. We ended up winning a bronze medal. We won uh, the Czech Cup. It was like the first time in like 22 years we had won it. So, but again, it was because the, the guys bought in and, you know, we were, you know, we were playing as a team. So uh, it was, you know, the, the coach of the year thing, I didn't even know about it until uh, somebody actually, you know, sent me a, uh, somebody sent me a message with the, with the link. I guess to the to site and I, I saw it, but uh, yeah, it was, it, it was cool. It was good to be recognized again, but again, you don't, you don't get that type of recognition if you don't, you know, if guys are not out there on the court performing and doing, doing what they need to do. So you referenced Tommy Amaker, you referenced Larry Brown, but a lot of your former teammates have also found their way into the coaching ranks over the, the past decade or so. How many of them do you kind of stay in contact with and talk about coaching strategies and maybe even leaned on for advice in this transition at that part of your career? Yeah, I think, you know, Shy, of course, Shy is one of the guys that I, I speak to a lot. Um, I think Shy and I are, are closest uh, just because, again, we're New York City guys and, you know, same age kind of, you know, so we've we've been in contact the most. Uh, you know, every summer I would come home and, and, and just try to, you know, stay in contact with people. And I went up to Rhode Island and met with Danny, um, sat right down with him for, for a while. And we spoke for, for, for a good, good bit. Um, so Danny was also a guy that, you know, I can reach out to. He, you know, he might not return my call right away. He's, you know, Danny is a guy that you, you got to call him 15 times before you can reach him. So, you know, if I, if it's something urgent, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't reach out to Danny because I don't know when I'll get it out here back from him. It's funny because I, uh, I, I think I, I text him, I text him, uh, before, I guess when I heard they were going back to the Big East. So I, I text him kind of like, welcome back or something. And he, <laughs> and he texts me back like two weeks later, like, Hey, you know, thanks. I had, I had, you know, thank you. Uh, you're going to do a great job at Binghamton, but it was like, yeah, it was like two weeks later. So, yeah. So, he, you know, he's, he's one of those guys. And, um, and then, you know, just recently I've, I've, you know, been, been in contact with Adrian a lot. Um, just talking to him about stuff. Like, you know, he was one of the guys that I reached out to when I was, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how exactly to get back to the U S and, 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 and coach and stuff like that. So, um, so, you know, I, I speak with Adrian also, but I would say that, you know, also speak to guys like Kerry Keaton, who I speak to quite often, you know, he, uh, he was on the staff with coach Blaney when I was there. So I speak to Kerry, you know, quite often. And, um, 
Coach Jackson. Coach Jackson, who's now he's a scout for the Spurs. He was on Coach Amica staff. Um, he's actually in Albany, and we plan to to grab lunch. He was just telling me, "Hey, I'm gonna come down and grab some lunch." So I speak to quite a few people, but I think that you know, I think like Coach Amica and Shy are the guys that I speak to. I think the most, and are guys that you know, when you call, you know, they'll pick up the phone right away. We actually are quite fascinated uh, to talk to people about their experiences overseas, you know, and the one thing that keeps uh, being a recurrent theme from folks is that it's not for everybody. But you went so as f- so far to write a book called A Guide to Playing Professional Basketball Overseas. What inspired you to write that book? Um, I, well, you know what it was? It was just me being in the Czech Republic um, as long as I was there. It seemed like all of the new guys, whenever they came to the Czech Republic, they would they would find out how long that I'm there, and then they would reach out to me and ask me a bunch of questions. Um, so, I, I, you know, I was like, man, you know what? These guys should ask me questions. You know, I might as well just write a book. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I decided to... Uh, to write a book and 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 I did so it was just something that I put together because I think a lot of times guys come over and they they don't have a clue of what to expect you know they don't they don't have a clue on on how to kind of be professional um, because it is a job and it's something that you know people are you know they have some expectations and you know there's some things that you should and you shouldn't do um, so I, I just wanted to put a, a a bunch of things together uh, for for anybody who you know who wanted to kind of understand how to to be successful, you know, how to have a successful career uh, overseas. So that's why I, I wrote the book. And, um, you know, I, I've got a lot of good feedback, you know, uh, a lot of coaches and stuff, especially in the Czech Republic, you know, they always reach out to me and ask me, hey, can I get a copy of your book? Because, you know, we have a, a rookie coming over and they, you know, they want to give him the book to just give him some some insight on on how we should behave. Because I think, again, I think a lot of times, you know, I've, I've seen it, you know, we come over as Americans and we think, you know, number one, you know, everybody should be should speak English. You know, you, you don't realize you're in a foreign country. Right. And not everybody going to speak English, you know, but we think that hey, everybody should speak English. But man, that's just not the case. So, again, for me, it was it was hard when I first came over. You know, I remember I came on a Saturday. I slept all day Saturday, woke up Sunday. I was in a hotel was like three check channels, nothing in English. I was like, man, I, I called Coach Amica. I'm like, hey, listen, I, I, need, I need to get out of here. And he he talked me out of it. He was like, no, he's like, listen, you know, it's the first day you're there. Don't worry, it get better. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always telling Coach, man, I appreciate him, you know, telling me to stay because it, it got better, you know. But again, it's, it's just one of those things when we come over, we, we're kind of spoiled and we expect, uh, you know, the way we were treated in college, you know, you come to, sometimes you go to schools like Seton Hall where everything is done first class for you, you know, and then you go over to some of these countries and it's, it's not the same, you know, and, and again, a lot of times guys don't know how to handle that. So, you know, I just wanted to put some things together so, so guys would be able to, you know, see it and read it and then kind of understand what it, what it takes. Well, Lavelle, before we let you go, we make our guests walk the plank. We give, Five rapid-fire questions to you. We want five rapid-fire answers back. No need to elaborate. Just hit hit us with your best shot, okay? Okay, got it. All right, here we go. Question number one. Most points scored at any level? 41. Most hated rival? Ditching. Uh, Most intimidating environment you've ever played in? None. Best opponent you have ever seen play in your career? Nimbrook. Best Seton Hall player you have ever seen play? 
Shaheen. Bonus question. Best backcourt in Seton Hall history. I don't I don't um know all of the backcourts. I'm going with Lavelle Sanders and Shaheen Holloway. And ah, yeah, I thought you were gonna be too humble to say that. Nice. <laughs> Congratulations, Lavelle. You've walked the plank. Appreciate it. All right, Lavelle, we appreciate you spending some time here with us. Thank you so much, and good luck with your season at Binghamton. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Again, my first my first uh, interview or anything with, you know, Seton Hall or, or related from, from, from that era, so appreciate it. Well, as you move your way up the coaching ranks, we'd love to have you back on and hear more about your success. No problem. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former players Desi Rodriguez, Angel Delgado, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tom Chilkoharski, I am Mike Dizzy Deziri, and you have been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.